Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For this podcast, I've asked actor Claire Monley to sit in the hot seat and interview her fellow unmanageable sisters, Sarah Madigan and Quiva O'Malley. I'm looking forward to listening to it. It's all to play for. Enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to Abbey Talks podcast. I am Claire Monley and I'm sitting in the sound box in the Abbey Theatre watching the turnover from the Unmanageable Sisters to the Two Point Set with Quiva O'Malley and Sarah Madigan, my co-stars. Hello. Hi guys. <laughs> welcome. They let us do a podcast. <laughs> I know. Phony suckers. It's a weekly event. Um, <laughs> Do you, want to, do you want to tell the listeners what we're referred to as within the cast of the Unmanageable Sisters? <laughs> Sarah. Bananarama. Bananarama. <laughs> and actually, one that I prefer is uh, the Youth Theatre. The Youth Theatre. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're holding on to that one for dear life. I, I like the Youth Theatre. I don't think we thought we were very different from anyone else in the cast, but very quickly we were labelled the Youth Theatre. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because of the pitch of our voices or the loudness of us. Or yeah, like that. actually, I didn't even know who Bananarama was. I mean, I knew their songs, but I didn't even know who Bananarama was. I think that was part of and the joke I at our expense. I had to Google who they were talking about. Um, so we've just come off stage after the Wednesday matinee of The Unmanageable Sisters. And unlike most matinee shows, we're now finished work for the day <laughs> because of the wonderful rep system. How are you guys finding working um, in rep? Like amazing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's lovely because, well, the week does fly, I have to say, because we're in for a Monday evening show, then mm. we have a Wednesday matinee, and then we have like Friday, Saturday together. So the weeks are going really quick, which I don't like because yeah, I don't want to say quick. goodbye. But it is lovely to have evenings off every now and then because as any actor or any person who works evenings will know, I mean, you're totally on a different schedule to all of your family and friends, family, friends, normal, normal friends. Normal um, so you don't really get to spend time with people. If you're doing long runs, you kind of can sometimes go months without seeing anyone properly. So it is lovely. And because it's the summer, it's obviously lovely to have an evening every now and then. Yeah, yeah it's the dream. And it's uh, you kind of bounce into work and look forward to seeing your friends and your pals. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty gemmy schedule. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of going back to doing the Unmanageable Sisters again, because obviously we did it for the first time last year before the vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment. Mm-hmm. And it felt so urgent and so yeah. important and so live then. How do you guys feel coming back to do it again now that we did finally vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment? It's a funny one because it was so uh, divisive and it still is, I suppose. But at the time, you know, the the pressure was really mounting as we were doing the show. We were coming up to the May referendum and it was everywhere. You couldn't move for an opinion or for, you know, statistics or polls. And I think people on both sides thought it would be very tight. And so I think that there was... A quite a sense of maybe danger and uh, people being quite emotional. scared and yeah. emotional and it carried so much heaviness with it for, for everyone really I think everybody had an opinion on it that it was very hard not to kind of be aware of it I mean it was a bill I felt it was like a pressure cooker building and building and building yeah. and obviously because the storyline that I have in the unmanageable sisters is very much linked to that idea of you know the whole topic and um so I found it very 
very heightened when I did it last time and it's not that it isn't this time um, it just feels like a different world we live in now it's incredible to think that that was like last year we were only having those kind of conversations and now it seems to like you know the energy is dissipated and somehow I feel like now I'm acting a person who was living in the 70s feeling like it was totally different from me in my life whereas last year when I did it I mean, I was acting out a storyline that could have been a modern play. Yeah, my 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 part in in this in the story could have been a here girl now, in twenty eighteen in Ireland yeah. in Dublin because I was talking about going to England and you know all of those not things having that, the money to do it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I I felt very aware last year in particular of how many people were watching this and how emotional it was for so many people. I still do get quite. I am still quite aware of like the idea that there's people coming into this show that don't agree with what my character is deciding to do. I think you can feel it in the room sometimes, can't you? Yeah. Almost to some degree. There yeah. was a March for Life um, a rally, a, rally yeah. a couple of weeks ago and then we had an evening show that evening and, you know, I had it in my head that there was every possibility that somebody could who has a different opinion to me or maybe doesn't agree with the character's choice come in and watch this and you know you kind of you have to just tell the story the way it is but there as an actor it's always at the back of my mind that there are people in the audience that could have gone through a similar thing and there's people in the audience that may not agree with what the character is talking about or saying or doing and so it's it's something that just needs to be treated with as much respect as you can because ultimately it's it's divisive and it's it's just something that hits people hard and, and everyone has their own opinion on it and no opinion is wrong really, you know? And when you're playing a character mm. like Lisa, mm. who, and particularly because amongst the cast of, well, as obviously all the women in the Imagine Sisters have various things going on in their lives mm. and various difficulties, but Lisa's difficulty is quite immediate and quite she's feeling it right now mm. um, and when you're playing a character like that um, or characters that you've played in, in, in your careers who have you who are gone through dark times do you feel like you take it home with you after the show do you feel like you walk out the stage door and you leave it, you leave it behind you on the stage or is there a certain amount of self-care that you have to do to make sure that you don't let that get in on you too much mm. in your day-to-day life oh that's a good question um, yeah like I think with like kind of not moving too far from what we've just been talking about like last year it would be easy to let that sort of upset you into your general life as well like there was stuff like there was days when you could hear people crying mm-hmm. like sobbing in the audience or stories that we were getting told via maybe other members of the cast or Deidre Kinahan of people who had gone to the show and it facilitated a very difficult conversation or um maybe yeah, a kind of a, a few times. reconciliation yeah. yeah like so there yeah. was amazing stories coming from that and i think if it, it depends on the play and stuff as well but i think if you can have parallels with either your life or sort of injustices happening in society at large i think i do let it uh, bleed into my life yeah. to the point where my poor family probably have had many screaming matches with me over dinner. <laughs> You're only pretending, Sarah. Uh, no, get over yourself. <laughs> but um, so I think, like, if you kind of could leave it completely at the door, then fair play to you. But I think that 
that's kind of a hard thing to do. Yeah, I think you have to actively separate yourself from the job sometimes mm. if it's if it's a bit traumatic or a bit emotional. But um, but like you said, if you were if you were entirely capable of shutting it off, then then maybe, maybe something wrong be with that you. connected. <laughs> maybe you'd be a robot. Yeah, it's a hard one because you're kind of you know you're you're asking your body and your emotions to go to a place where it's real because it has to be you have to In feel it but yeah it is an interesting thing as you get i think as i get get older as an actor and more experienced i'm finding it ways of just being able to i don't know if there's like a little shorthand every now and then i think with practice i don't know if you find this but mm -hmm. getting emotional or having anything emotional to do sometimes the more you do it or the more you access that, the quicker the little route is. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. It's like anything sense. you get with experience, you're, like your memory gets better. Yeah. You find the way of doing things that is healthy for you, that works mm. for you. and that It's not as personal. It just exactly, becomes something yeah. that you can access quickly and shut off from quickly. Like yeah. I'm not saying I have it mastered by any. No, we're, you're always learning, right? Yeah. And speaking of learning, <laughs> um, I'm going to take you back. Way back. Oh, you're so good back at this, Claire. Time. Thanks, Sarah. The Claire Money um, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Any sponsors out there? Can you shout? So uh, we all went to drama school. Mm. Yes, we did. Myself and Quiva in the Gaiety School of Acting in Dublin. Same year. And Sarah yeah. in, Landa, mm -hmm. in London. So we had different experiences, <laughs> but um, I, might, I mean, can you sum it up in a few sentences what mm. you think drama school did for you as an actor? What, what you learned in drama school that you wouldn't have known had you taken a different route and just gone straight into work as many actors do why don't you go first with that answer oh turning it around <laughs> we haven't nice. heard a lot from Touché. <laughs> damn it I was not a burden do you remember um, the question <laughs> I do remember the question um, I think the reason I chose to go to drama school was I really really wanted to be an actor and I'd done the real job thing and I got in the degree and and I could have stayed in the real job and probably been making a decent amount of money now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but I knew I wanted to give it a go and I felt like if I went to drama school that that would be giving it a proper go and then if I failed miserably at least I could tell my grandkids I was an actor once briefly. <laughs> um, and so I did. And I think what drama school gave me was I knew I had something, yeah. like a thing, like an instinct or a gut ability, I suppose. But, but it, was, it was rough. As anything and it needed like <laughs> it polishing. needed polishing yeah and it needed yeah. structure and yeah. discipline and um timekeeping mm. and uh tearing apart texts and rolling around the floor yeah. and saying goodbye to your personal space <laughs> I, think, I think i'm quite like you in that and that sense is the exact same reason i decided to go to drama schools because i think me and you're quite alike in the sense that we're nerds and i didn't <laughs> feel like i would be an actor until somebody had given me a piece of paper or had you know <laughs> or i just went what do act, what is being an actor because i had started doing a little bit of of acting but I didn't really know which way to go. And I knew that if I ingrained myself into drama school, that like I would come out knowing the people I needed to know or knowing the plays I needed to know or uh -huh. having a sense of like what this is about because I was just so green. So. Yeah. I think I felt like as well by the end of drama school that I had earned a right to have a shot in the industry. I don't think I never felt entitled to an agent or a job yeah. or a career but I felt like I'd, I'd paid my dues for those two years I had earned like a place to have a shot yeah. within yeah. the industry you're a professional then but know. it's kind yeah. of like an apprenticeship right obviously there's a certain level of um, acting or any creative endeavour that is due to personal ability 
of course. But like, you know, if you're an electrician, a plumber, a uh, hairdresser, you've got to like have an apprenticeship. Yeah. You've got to learn your the ropes. Yeah, you've got to learn yeah. your craft. So like there's one thing, you know, some people can rock up to a film set and never acted a day in their life and be the most incredible thing you've ever seen. Mm. But they're few and far between. And actually, if you want to take your craft seriously, drama school is an expensive but amazing way yeah. to to do that like so i think it's 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 definitely it gives you a sense of legitimacy for yourself that you've earned the right to call yourself an actor that yeah. you put the work in yeah. And also yeah. on that kind of idea of training, because it is an interesting thing of like, as you go along in this profession, some people work a lot, some people learn a lot on the job. But, you know, this idea that it's OK as actors to be doing courses and to be doing things. I feel like sometimes people feel like, well, I'm a professional now, so I can't be seen to be oh, upskilling yes. or whatever. And You're so I, right. Doctors do it all the time. I know. So right. Everyone does it. Mm -hmm. And you see accountants doing exam after exam, doing, you know, different levels and I feel like yes it's brilliant and you get so much experience working but unfortunately we don't work all the time and it is good to keep yourself fresh and you know obviously you've got to pick and choose what you do and, and spend your money wisely because we don't have a lot of money mm -hmm. to spend on, mm -hmm. on, on courses coming out your ear but it's okay I think that's the thing that I've come to realize that like you literally constantly have to learn. Like I did a TV series recently and kind of panicked and before it bought a book on how to act. For <laughs> <laughs> and I know that sounds mad. No. Well, it is a bit mad, but maybe I was panicking. But I loved the book. Yeah. And I got so much out of it. And it's okay to, to be learning all the time. And, you know, that's the thing. It's, you, you know, you always have to look to actors that are more experienced than you or, or older than you. And you go, you know, we all have something to learn. And if I look at myself three years ago if I look at myself one year yeah. ago I go oh my god I can't believe I did that or I can't yeah, believe yeah. I approached it that way yeah, as, as well like that's the, the beauty the best and worst thing about drama school for me was that we were in there all day every day mm. doing what we loved like I was yeah. in my element there was structure to it there was mm. discipline to it there was you were there at 8 13 it didn't lead to whatever time and we had the gift of two solid years of acting, mm -hmm. which you yeah. don't have when you leave. Yeah. And because th that was the best thing. And then the worst thing about leaving was that you abs you are abandoned of structure. Yes. You are like really the hard. dole on the Wednesday was the only proper yeah. structure I had mm -hmm. in my life then. It is difficult. And so if you don't fill your time with some sort of creative endeavor, then I think you start to go a little bit mad. And another um, aspect of being an actor in Dublin or coming out around the time that we came out is the necessity to make work. Mm -hmm. um, Which you two have done quite, <laughs> quite well. So, Quiva, recently enough, you did a work in progress of your first play in this mock alley scene in her festival. So what, what made you dig in and give writing a go? Well, I mean, I was inspired by you, inspired by so many of my peers and pals that I've written and have a really good friend, Michael Murphy, who I've worked with a few times, who was always encouraging me to write and thinking of ideas. And, you know, I I absolutely procrastinated so much, like so many years of procrastination, but eventually kind of just got myself a little bit together to write or begin something. So, I mean, it's not a, f a finished product, but I got enough together of a shell of an idea and a character that I love and like had a half an hour of a monologue play. And 
I didn't even really write a monologue play. I wrote other characters, and then I realized maybe I can do it. Well, you told me. You were like, you you need to do this on your own. This isn't. I think there was a sense of <laughs> scared to be on my I own. Was, yeah, completely, because I remember reading it for the first time, and I was like, I remember when I, the very first time I performed an excerpt of Charlie's Eclecto, which was my first play. Yeah, I remember. I asked Erin Monaghan, who's the director, slash my husband, <laughs> I asked if it would be within her character to have things written on her hand. <laughs> and that's because I wanted to write the lines on my hand because I was terrified. Totally, utterly terrified to be on my own. And yeah. when I read your the first draft of your play, I was like, you've written in cushions. These characters are cushions. You can absolutely play like, all these people. I knew when I wrote, I sat down to write and I was like, well, there's one thing I know and it's an, I'm not going to be writing myself a one-woman show. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turned out to be Surprise. that. Uh, Surprise. <laughs> and I had you being dramaturg. I had Michael Murphy, who also has one-man plays, directing me. So I was I in mean, the you made best, your bed. I was in the best care <laughs> possible. But obviously, like, totally, you inspired me because you are the queen of... You've made shit happen and you have totally owned it when it comes to writing putting it on like getting the the you know the the response support that you wanted or you th- like well. you always dream of getting and then not only that but continuing on you've got so much coming up yeah <coughs> Irish um, Times nominated Claire Munley yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it all really did come from a, a sheer place of frustration. I was just sick of not getting work and sick of nobody putting me on stage enough. Yeah. And so I started writing and then uh, I was really lucky early on to, because it's obviously, like you said, we came out in 2011, like mid-recession, yeah. all the companies had gotten cut. There was just not enough work for as many actors as there were. And so many of our peers, like you said, have done this, have made their own work, have started theatre companies mm-hmm. um, in places like Theatre Upstairs and all over town. But what's, what's missing, I suppose, now that the companies have been cut, is are those support structures. Because I feel like if you wrote a play 10, 15 years ago, you might have brought it to Barabbas or to, mm. I don't know, all the companies mm-hmm. who existed mm-hmm. then that mm-hmm. don't anymore. Um, whereas now we're kind of having to wear a lot of hats, like you're kind of having mm-hmm. to be, to self-produce or to become a producer or become a marketer all these things all these skills that we don't really have mm. but I was very lucky to establish a relationship early on with Axis Ballymun who I've continued to work with and we'll be working with again in September when my second play Minefield premieres in Dublin Fringe and I have great. heard tiny 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 part of this at the very early stages and it sounds like it's going to be amazing yeah it was a really it was a really brilliant process I obviously had only written a one woman show before um, and I applied for um, the Jim at Naughton Tile Style Bursary in the Business to Arts Awards and was awarded €10,000 to write a play, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started writing a play about body image and I wrote 20 pages of it. And it was awful. Oh no. It was the worst I'm sure it was Yeah, but it's good that, that you, can, oh. you can see that. Do you know what I mean? Like that you could go, well, it's I like, I can like, kill that baby. That's, that's. <laughs> I spent three months, yeah. about three months, like solidly writing this 20 pages of this. Oh, oh no. Oh, and it like, probably took that long because you were trying to be like hit, hitting it. You were uh, just trying to hit a thing. You and thought also, you had I think, I think the reason I hit the wall is because I came at it from the perspective of an issue. Yes. Instead of, a character Lives or a narrative whoever, or yeah. human beings. And so it was real on the nose and it was real preachy and it was not good. And I hit a wall and um, Aaron, who's who's, dram- who's directing Minefield now, 
wanted to read it and he knew something was up because normally if, you, if I even write a page or something I think is good I sent it to him like oh read that read that it's great <laughs> tell me amazing tell me, <laughs> tell me it's good and I wouldn't show him anything and he, he pushed knew. and pushed and I was like look it's terrible it's awful it's a terrible play <laughs> and he was like start again I was like I can't they gave me this money I've been given this like what and he's like that's the point that's the reason birth freeze exists yeah. throw it away start again you have the freedom to do that because yeah. you have that support network that's such good advice and though. so I did yeah. I started again totally from scratch with nothing in mind it, it just started out as this two people meeting on a park bench straight up character driven and now it's turned into a three-hander about public shaming online shaming and um, it's it got, so it, got it just grew a, a whole other life because really I remember when you were researching this. it you were like I've got I've gone down a dark hole <laughs> like where you had to research like online and all these things that happened yeah. like, oh like, actually that'd be pretty grim I think that your research is incredible like you've you really like this play is so full of all of that information that you really take us to a world that I think most people would know something about on the surface but I certainly didn't know anything about what are they called? Incels. Incels, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I, I read a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson about online shaming. I can't oh, it's a read, great I don't think book. I can read that uh, just on a note of I think it's going to give me too much anxiety. I mean, I think <laughs> it will give you phenomenal anxiety. Yes, I it's think a, it's not it's, for me. It's an incredibly dark world. I feel like it's a cautionary into. tale. Yeah, it's loads it's of cautionary so tales. It is. There's there was one particular story about the woman on the plane who sent a, tw- sends a tweet. A tweet, yeah. A life, racist tweet. And it was a stupid tweet. But by the time she got off the plane her life was ruined completely yeah like it's so wrong yeah no it but is but all, also the thing is that we all engage in it to some degree and I remember it's kind of like I the Greek Colosseum vibe isn't it like yeah just like, we are we are totally we are like there's, they're gladiators and we're, we're yeah. willing them to fight to the death and we do it all the time without even knowing that we're doing it yeah I think reading the book made me way more conscious of how I interact with people online actually but then I went to, yeah I fell down the absolute rabbit hole online of of trolls and um, and there's, I read loads of really interesting stories about people confronting their trolls and, and meeting them in real life. That's and, so interesting. And and how you how you can, how if you put a human face on this hate, there's mm. nearly always, and look, I know these are probably the exceptions to the rule, but there was nearly always it was about the person, the mm. troll themselves, and the pain they were suffering in their lives that caused them to project on this complete stranger on the internet. Yeah. It would inevitably hard. they were going through some awful trauma that made them behave in this manner mm. but and I suppose I suppose as Minefield progressed into a play about online shaming it became about trying to put a face on that anonymous hate because when you meet the characters first I think you get quite attached to them because yeah. they're just people. I heard the start part and I think I mean it's it, still the start yeah I mean it, it, it feels like it could be a straight up rom-com it does <laughs> because, it, story because, they're, because they're just people that you meet yeah. and and I think, I think what I've learned from my brief stint writing now is that y- you need to come at these things, or I do anyway. Certainly, for me to, for my interest to be kept, I need to have a human connection to the people on the yeah, stage, for sure. And that everything else, all the, all the politics and all the big, all the research it does comes out swims underneath, yeah. and it'll it'll come out itself yeah. in, in due course. But if you're not connected to those people, then when you find out the darkness in them then you don't have that conflict mm. within you absolutely mm-hmm. you know absolutely. Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. that grey area of like nothing is black and white no person is good or evil you know we've all done totally. stuff that we regret mm-hmm. we've all said things that we'd like to take back yeah 
Um, but then when you put it out online, it's there forever. Oh, See, that's it. God. It's such a day. It's not dangerous. Well, it is. It's a scary world. This whole thing of like, you know, we have phones in front of us, but they are not lives. They're not people. So. I think there's something in us that we can't connect with. It brings out, you know, another side of our humanity. And like, I think compassion and kindness is something we always have to work at to try and be. And I think it's something that theatre, theatre can really bring out in people. It's like, yeah. it's like Lisa's storyline in Unmanageables. Yeah. You might have a really, really strong opinion mm -hmm. on abortion, whether it's right mm -hmm. or wrong or whatever it is. But when you come to the theatre and you see a character on stage and the problem is humanized and it's given a face. Mm. I do I do really believe that there's power in that, that there's mm -hmm. strength in that. Yeah. And that we can and that we can change hearts and minds. You know, in our own way. I'm not I'm not saying we're gonna change the world. No. But even if we but make one important. person in an audience think think again about yeah. where they stand on something then mm then I think we're, our I job mean, is done. I think that's what Graham said when he first came here. He's like, you want to change the world. Sorry yeah. for that amazing Graham McLaren impression <laughs> there. Yeah, but <laughs> it's so right, isn't it, that you you can have a very um, black and white view on things when yeah. it doesn't touch your life. But when something touches your life or right your person, you. yeah, you can suddenly, the grey areas yeah. become a lot more uh, interesting. And Absolutely. That, even with the unmanageables, like, all of those monologues that women, the women speak, or even my character, when you hear the dialogue between us or whatever, you know, you're seeing a, a conversation that is so same for so many people. But the pro, but the you know the audience is faced with it here, and they have to look at it and they have to see it. And I think going back a little bit to the repeal and the eighth referendum, you know it did for so many people to have conversations about things that are usually so under the carpet just swept away mm -hmm. people don't want to talk about these things but when they do it's so hard to deny that there's somebody is affected by this and when so many people are affected by something it's very difficult i think for people to not look and go i i, I can put myself in your position i can't imagine how that's uh, an easy choice so yeah, yeah. i think that's always where it. that's where we get that compassion and understanding from is always you know putting a face on it, isn't it? Yes. So we're sitting in the same box of the Abbey Theatre. Mm -hmm. um, I know for me, Unmanageables was my Abbey debut. Whoop, 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 whoop. Um, <laughs> which I nearly lost my mind over. <laughs> um, and then I obviously had the, the glory of getting to work with my best friend again. Brilliant. And then I got to make a new best friend. Oh, oh people are vomiting into oh, their phones. Oh no, but they're so sound because imagine <laughs> sharing a dressing room and coming in with two best mates and like, I was thinking, oh, I'm screwed here. <laughs> I'm going to be just like my character, Janet. Absolute third wheel in the extreme. <laughs> so oh, what about me. what about I know um, I know Quiva you'd worked in the Abbey before mm -hmm. and Sarah you've done Jimmy's Hall mm -hmm. but what was it like tell me about your Abbey debuts how was that debuting in your national theatre oh Jesus the best actually the best <laughs> like I think oh I like I'm not sure whether I might have cried like I I, oh, I, I cried I bought like oh, a baby yeah, yeah. it's just there's times. so much there's just so much uh, history and, and and meaning being yeah. able to play the stage you're in national theatre and I hope everyone whoever listens to this podcast who wants to be an actor gets to experience it because it's just it's great it's great and like yeah that's all I have to say actually that's <laughs> all I have to say about that <laughs> Quiva can you elaborate more on your um, hobby debut well, yeah I mean it, yeah it was it was 
it was a it was a dream because I had uh, auditioned for the Abbey a few times and I was still quite early on in my coming out of the gaiety and stuff so I don't really know if you expect to get any job at that point you know and uh, I was playing Jenny Hill in Major Barbara I had a little bonnet on <laughs> <laughs> and Salvation Army uniform. Oh God! It was, sweating. I say you were sweating oh, when it was a summer show, and it was so hot that year. We were absolutely roasting. They had to pump a cold air in, so we'd corset and layer after layer after layer. Oh God! So it was. I remember Joan O'Cleary saying, "Quiver light on." Loosen your corset there a little bit because I, you're in tech. Because I obviously look like I was going to collapse, but I was too green to say anything. <laughs> I was like, I can fight through this. But yeah, suffer no, for your art. Suffer. Corset acting. No, it was brilliant. And it, I was working with a fabulous cast. And yeah, I think it is that thing of like the green jersey and everyone talks about the Abbey oh. working, you know, playing for Ireland kind of thing in, in acting terms. God, we probably wouldn't be very good sports people. So <laughs> no. thank God. What are sports? <laughs> no, we don't know sports, but um, yeah, it was it was fabulous, and it is such a lovely building. And I have to say, every time I come back to the Abbey, I absolutely love working here because, you know, you've got a home. There's the same people here and the same faces yeah, and an everybody amazing team on every sort of front. Yeah. yeah. So you know, even though you know the years go by, sometimes you're not here for a year or two, and you might not see people. When you come in the door, you just feel like home. And obviously, debuting in the Abbey is a really big deal. Um, for loads of reasons because like I say the green jersey and all that kind of stuff mm. but as well particularly for our generation of um, of makers that the fact that you come in and like every job is covered like yes. ev- yeah. there is somebody really good at their job for every job in this yeah. building like everything is covered all you have to worry about is the acting it's and just beautiful coming from a place of making and producing and marketing and social media and mm-hmm. writing and whatever else it you just come in and you're like this is grand oh. and not in a, i mean obviously totally, you, yeah. you get to give your full energy oh it's to the well, i think it really focuses you of like this is my role in this is to do this and i yeah. better do it to the best i am this yeah. in this machine it is yeah. nice to feel like i mean this is a kind of serious thing but you know, the Abbey provide like pension, which is one of the only places that provides pensions mm-hmm. for actors and they will contribute as much as you contribute, you know, into your pension, which is a normal thing that most, like every state body or like virtually every job has. Yeah. And the, there, there is an awareness at the moment of actors, how much we earn, you know, are we living close to the poverty line? There is a lot of work going on with theatre forum, especially about this kind of issues. And I think it's important to talk about because you know, we are trying to make a living in a job that is incredibly hard. And you really do feel like when you walk into employment, even if it's only for two weeks or five weeks or whatever it is, that you have the same opportunities that other people have. And you're being looked after. That you're being looked after because being a freelancer is so difficult. And when you come into the Abbey, you know, there is just small things that somebody goes, no, but that's your right to have that that's actually a really big thing to have as an actor yeah. mm. I really hope that more people start taking things like that on that when you go to work at whatever theatre company or whatever yeah. you know production company if it's screen work that you know you kind of have stuff like that or that we work out a system that kind of provides a little better because we're not in the same zone at all of a lot of normal industries and and there's a sense of I think because the work because artists love the work that they do and there's an eagerness there and a hunger to continue doing the work that you do that 
there's opportunity there for you to be taken advantage of because of that eagerness and that love and that the sheer fact that you just want to be doing it Mm -hmm. regardless of the circumstances I remember getting my first call for a job and being told how much I was getting paid and nearly wet in my... It wasn't good. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was. But like for me, I was like, what do you mean they're paying me money? Yeah. Well, I do it for free. Yeah. Don't tell anyone that. Do you know that, by the way? Because you're so delighted. But then there is... There are people out there and there are... You know, who will take advantage of that. And, and also take advantage of the fact that if you won't do it under those circumstances, there's 300 mm-hmm. girls behind you who yeah. will. Yeah. And that's a and real I think problem. That's where, that's where the um, exploitation Completely. comes in because yeah. um, you're dispensable, disposable. I don't know, maybe you guys feel this way, but sometimes when you talk about these kind of things, you feel a bit indul- indulgent. I know. Because you're like, well, there's a hundred things that the government needs to put money into. They need to put money into this, into homelessness, mm-hmm. into housing. But, but like... It's it's definitely like this massive sort of area where people can slip under the radar mm-hmm. because you are you just because you want to tell stories for a living. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's a vital. That's the thing. It's such a vital part, particularly in Ireland. Like we sell our country as the country, the yeah. home of saints and scholars. You know, we you you, you come into Dublin mm-hmm. Airport and the first thing you see is a massive poster for the Abbey selling yeah, whatever show yeah. is on here at the yeah. time and we we position ourselves to the world as this place this home of culture this mm-hmm. hub of arts yeah. um, and yet we don't value our artists no and I think actually I um, could be mistaken but I think there was some figure recently whereas the amount of money that um, is put into the arts is is given back like oh, tenfold completely, yeah. mm-hmm. um, in terms of income into the country yeah. tourism yeah. yeah so yeah. it's not you know it's not a black hole of funding no no and I think that's the problem that we slip into it's a little bit of I think that we're Irish and it's a little bit that we're artists but it's so easy to go oh well we should just be happy for what we have and you know I- I'm working now and somebody else isn't and you know mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. go back to that thing of you know but there's so much the government need to do and it's so so you kind of have to stop and go we're not saying that that's not Important true also, also worthy yeah. but you do have to say you know are we a sector that contributes a lot are we people who work very hard are we trained are we experienced yes and so if there is people profiting off you know the the name of, of, of our labor in mm-hmm. Ireland then, you know, we really should, we should all be plugging together in order to stand up and go, no, actually, there's certain qualities of life that we deserve. I think that's just to just have a standard because it's it's just the first thing that people think of in a recession or whatever. It's like, well, do we really need yeah. this much money for the arts when we have this blah, 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 yeah, blah. It made me sad earlier thinking about when you were saying when you were coming out and the, the companies that have gone since. Yeah. It's actually a travesty. It is. That's a travesty. Thinking yeah. back when I like was in college the amount yeah. of companies that were working and being funded and, and it's down to handful now work, like, yeah like gone. an incredible artist who are contributing amazing things yeah just cut. like gone travesty yeah and the, there's a thing as well I, I know like that if there's a kind of we've made your bed kind of attitudes or maybe maybe I project that on myself but like I like you say you feel like when you're complaining not complaining when you're talking about these things or calling for for a better situation for artists that you feel a bit like, well, you know, you did choose to be an artist. I was like, yeah, but I, mm. I could have chosen to be an engineer. I'd be getting paid way better. But, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we need artists in the same way as we need engineers. And, and as Aaron always says, if, if you 
people who don't engage necessarily with theatre might not really you know listen to these debates or take much heed of them but if you stopped art yeah if you said you can't you know the 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 mural on that wall been painted over you can't listen to a podcast podcast you can't listen to music you can't read that book can't you watch, can't that, watch that tv show yeah. you know the the world would be a darker darker place and mm-hmm. i think people need to take a bit more heed of that mm-hmm. yeah i think they i think a lot of people go through life and they think of art and sometimes they can think of a museum or they can think of the theatre and it's not everyone's cup of tea and that's fine, that's no problem. Um, But art does touch every section of our lives and you might not even think you're contributing to it, but you are and Mm. it's very, very important. How do you measure success? Oh God, not very well. (laughs) not very well well, I don't think yeah I mean I just think it's very hard to ever think of yourself as successful even though it's probably relative it's so relative and Mm. I think in our industry as well there's no there's no peaks there's no there's no you're with the company 20 years so you get a promotion or you're on this much pay and I'm on this much pay and we can kind of have some sort of you just can't, there is nothing like that. The ceiling that. keeps rising and rising, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I remember when we when we graduated from drama school, we were very much like, right, if we get an agent, best <laughs> case scenario. Like, best case scenario, yeah. success. Done and dusted. Thank you, Gage. I don't even want to you have know, a job within the first year. I actually yeah, remember saying that. Literally. I don't even care if I get a job. But then as soon as we got <laughs> our agents, which we were very lucky to get, then we were like... Kind of want auditions now. Now yeah. I want a job. Get then auditions. you get auditions and you're like, great, have auditions, great. Five minutes later, I'd love to get one of them though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, know yeah, I love yeah, that yeah, job yeah. actually? And as soon, I think it's, well, what does Dean Malloy say? How do you make an actor unhappy? <laughs> Give them a job. job. <laughs> um, so as soon as you you achieve, you have these goals, you have mm. these lists maybe, we like an old list, Quiva. We love a list. Um, oh, and yep. these things you want to tick off and, and once you tick one of them off, it's like within five minutes you're thinking about the next thing or yeah. or you know, or or you get the job and you get the call and you're delighted and then you think about doing the job and you're like, Oh God mm-hmm. Oh God, can I do it though? Or mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. um but I do I do think I think constant it's, it's fear. Constant we live fear. In a living constant, in constant fear. Yeah. But I do think that if two thousand eleven Quiva and Claire and Sarah yeah. could see where 2019 Quiva and Claire and Sarah are like right now up in the Abbey Soundbox doing a podcast for Abbey Talks that that we'd be pretty delighted with ourselves. Yeah, it's important to take stock, isn't it? Like celebrate the, celebrate every, every little milestone. Absolutely. Um, And you know, that's okay to strive for bigger and better and want more, but definitely celebrate the, celebrate the stops along the way. Otherwise, what is the point? You just Mm. live a miserable life. And also the fact that we're, the fact that we're still doing it eight mm. years in yeah. even yeah. that in itself yeah. I don't think I can never not do this like and I think a lot of people feel that way and and I think anyone who cannot do it and can do something else and be happy should do that isn't because, that, an, isn't <laughs> that yeah. why wouldn't you but I, I think, think Alan Rickman gave the same advice oh God. so, so, so yeah, Alan, Alan Rickman I, well I don't know it was either him or somewhere else but it was basically uh, at a question and answer session they were like could how, what advice would you give to uh, someone wanting to start, a, an actor wanting to start out in the business? And he was like, if you can think of any other career that you could happily do, do that instead. Yeah. Like, I think for me, what I decided a long time ago when I was so unhappy not working, 
is that if I continue my life like this, I'm going to spend the most of my life unhappy mm. because I might not be working. And we're all very happy here now. But the truth of acting is, and truth of any freelance work is that you don't know when your next job can come and you don't know how long that's going to last and there could be a long time without it. So it's the trying to make the life when you're not working as an actor as happy as when you are mm -hmm. because, you know, you have to just look forward to those times. I used to dread finishing runs and I do still to a certain degree, like you don't have the same friendship, you don't have the same crack in the dressing rooms and mm -hmm. you don't have the same pay packet. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, like to have things to look forward to and to have other focuses, like have your writing, to have, you know, the things that you do in between that just bring you joy. And that can be something that's totally outside of acting, you know, mm -hmm. that could be a sport, that could be a hobby or whatever it is. And to try and fill your time as richly as you can, because as we all know, you know, over the last few weeks, we life is short and we've all yes. been reminded of that. And Absolutely. You've, you know, if you're only if you're only looking forward to the next job as an actor, then you're wishing life away. And I just I think I just realized that that was just not something I wanted to do. So as hard as it is, you're going to have to do that. A bit That's brilliant advice that we could all take. Yeah. I don't, you know, think I'm brilliant at it, but I we're getting there. Yeah. We're yeah. Getting there. Don't wish your life away. Yeah. So as a final question to wrap up, can you think of a production that you've seen ever? that change your perspective on what theatre could be? Oh, that's such a good question. Change your perspective on what theatre could be? Or that just blew your mind for one way, one reason or another, just that changed you, that you came out of the theatre moved by or altered by in some way. I always think that's a nice way of looking at it. Oh, I saw a great one recently. <laughs> um, Amelia. Is it Amelia? Is that what it was called? Oh, in London. Yeah. Oh, I, I tell never, us all. I saw photos. It's called Amelia, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, girls, it was actually fantastic. So it was, it's, it was an all-female cast, much like ours. There was some songs and some dancing. It was a comedy, but it was also this sort of like a feminist rewriting of history almost. So it was kind of, it was set around Shakespeare's time and it was about this incredible writer of that time who obviously because of the age and circumstances doesn't get the same opportunities as uh, the other well William Shakespeare and other people uh, of the era and um, it was just like there was a, a bit at the end where this one of one of the Amelia's because there was a few across her lifespan came out and kind of gave this like rousing speech to the audience at the end and like the the audience were probably largely female and like people were like cheering like I, I actually got like kind of a hot flush <laughs> you know, I felt like I was at a political rally like, <laughs> and you kind of felt like the, the girl power movement was back in style and like back in style has it ever gone out of style Sarah no but um <laughs> but like just like you were so, I was buzzing after it because mm. like it wasn't just like here's a pretty story about this that and the other and it, the curtain comes down and yeah. thank you I'll move on with my life it sort of had this like electrifying like call to arms almost at the end which I love like I love that I love feeling something at the theatre I love it like kind of like you know, if you come out wanting to talk about it, whether yeah. it's have a row about it or discuss it or yeah. disagree with somebody about yeah. it. Yeah. So that was that was brilliant. And the women in it were unreal. It was so good. Yeah, it was oh it was it reminded me of you beauties as well. Ah. Yeah. 
Guiva. Yeah, I mean, that's so funny when you just talk about an, uh, a, a reaction of whatever kind because that's not the play I was thinking of. But remember we went to a Tim, it was a Tim Crouch play in Project and it was in Travers. The author. The author. The author. And I never forget coming out of that now and I was like... You were the angriest so I've ever angry. seen you. I was so angry. I was like... And I don't even think I hated it. I was just so angry at the way it was he an, did it. It was an incredible piece of theatre. Oh, it was incredible. But it, like you were said, angry it. at it or... At, at I them. I can't remember how I felt. The, I was just angry, but I, I wasn't... Didn't hate the play, did I? No, but you were so angry. You were like, I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. Because <laughs> it was very, you, they had actors hidden within the kind of crowd. Mm -hmm. So, you, the, sorry, the audience. And they would just start speaking every now and then. So it was about four actors. Mm -hmm. And it was about a really dark subject matter in the end. But Tim Crouch's character kept going. You can leave if you want. Does that, is everyone okay? Does anyone want to leave? And then at one point, we thought it was a plant. Someone gets up and leaves. And then it gets darker and darker and darker. And you realise, oh, fuck. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I cursed. You know, I can't, I, I can't leave this now. And you know, but he's given me the option, and it, it just was the way he built it. And then, like all Tim Crouch's plays, he didn't come out and bow, and I think that pissed me off too, because <laughs> I was like, I need closure. I need to see that you're not. It was the only time I've ever been you know, in a theater where there was no round of applause. Like, it was horrible. Well, that would be really disconcerting. It was no. and nobody. It was horrible. And the people sitting, get up and the people sitting around him because he, they were embedded in the <sighs> audience and we were facing each so other. Dark. It was in traverse. And the people sitting around him as he, as the story got to its, its height, they literally, they shied away from him. They mm. physically recoiled from him, and then the play just ended. And actually, because I think our friend Nicola went to speak to him about it, and he said, and he and he's out there in the foyer he waiting got, for like, people after violent reactions. A man came up and punched him in the face <gasps> after the show one time. Because the thing is, he didn't come out right, and uh, whatever that choice is about bowing. And I've talked to a few different actors, and people have different. Thoughts I thought it was bowing, right in that case. But it doesn't give you an opportunity to go. This is all pretend. It, which probably is the reason I think he doesn't that was do probably it. The reason, and then yeah. you're left with even more of a. I can't, and so I came I've out no and I was such a vocal reaction to it. Weaver was raging. So vocal, I was so angry. But the one that I was thinking about before you said that was Penelope, the end of oh, last one. Penelope. And obviously we just, Carl, like so sadly, sadly lost to us. But it was our first end of Walsh play. And we were over in Edinburgh and we were green. We were just in drama school. And like that end of Walsh play was the first thing I saw. And it was the first time I was like saw madness on stage in, in that way. Yeah. And like the beauty of madness. And I think it really hits my kind of style of what I love to do anyway. And I love to perform. And it was just that kind of the beauty of that madness. And I just saw it on this big stage with these incredible actors. And I went, oh my God, you can kind of, you can kind of do anything. Mm. The freedom of the theatre, yeah. yeah. You, you told a lovely story about that um, when you waited at stage door afterwards. Well, we didn't. We weren't that sad, Sarah. We came out the front of the Travers, <laughs> and Carl Shields was standing there, cool as ever, smoking a cigarette. And we, the three of us were just so starstruck by him. We hadn't met him before in real life, and he was astounding in Penelope, like he was something else and I remember saying he went to the gate he went to the gate yeah we have a connection to, to him we have a connection to him so we did we we approached him and he was lovely and chatted away to us for ages about what plays we'd seen and what we were going to do so next lovely. and he was just so so lovely and so welcoming and so 
uh, just the coolest man alive, wasn't he? Yeah. And he was he was like, like a, rock a rock star. star. And then yeah. the three of us, and I, I'm not even joking, we literally skipped away. Oh, like we skipped. skipped. I think we That's went. How happy we, we went were. an appropriate distance away, and, and then, then like skipped. screamed and skipped away. <laughs> like, it was like we. I hope he heard. I hope he heard the scream. So do I, because it was like it was like me. I'm trying on, to think. Did I tell him the story star. ever? But I don't think I did. Mortified. I don't think I could have told anyone that story, but yeah, we were just starstruck. In awe, but in, and awe, of in awe of everything. It was so inspiring. We'd seen this amazing play full of this madness. And uh, and the scale of it as well, yeah. I think, when you go and see something that Drew would do. Actually, that's mine, is Drew Murphy. Oh, yes. And I know I'm biased, but no, that was sitting brilliant. in a theatre for like, I think it was maybe the guts of nine hours over the course of the day. Mm. All three together. You're All three about, back yeah. to back. So conversations on a homecoming, whistle in the dark, and famine. Um, the scale of it, the ambition of it, mm. the the gut punch of Tom's writing, like all the performances, and yeah, just see it's just that thing of like, I don't really do gigs. I don't really like like festivals. I like going home to my bed or listening to music nerd. on the. I am a nerd. Okay, <laughs> no, I'm the same. I don't but do that tense. Was, like Druid Murphy for me was like going to electric picnic and getting on the face or something. I was like, I was just in my element. I was yeah. like, this is this is like theatre festival. Mm. Like a, a theatre, little mini theatre festival yeah. one day. And the standard they had forever. Oh, like, there was, I that can't was believe something they rehearsed else. it in, oh. like what, six weeks they had? They didn't have, oh, they what? certainly didn't have yeah. four six weeks, weeks per awesome. play. Yeah, something around something that, in around it? that. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't like four weeks per play, mm. I don't think. Wow. Um, and so you kind of go the level, the standard. And it was so in their bodies, they were so alive in it. It was yeah. so comfortable. Like they were, oh, they and were And I amazing. do remember when the lads all went off to do other plays afterwards. <laughs> they thought it was. They were like, one play? <laughs> one play? <laughs> like they had a little bit of, yeah. you know, so come easy. down yeah. off it. Yeah, because yeah. well imagine, you know, obviously you, as an actor, you are you are pushed, you're always pushing yourself, you always want to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Mm. Yeah. And you watch something like that and you go, yeah, that's epic. Because it's endurance yeah. theatre, like yeah. I mean, for the audience, but also for them, like Aaron in Famine by the end of it. And he'd done Conversations and Whistle. Oh and I saw, I remember him like and he's on the rolling, rolling out, oh like coming down backwards, some sort of ab workout like he was doing in the middle of the play. But no, like he, I was like, how are you not exhausted? How are you He must have been, exhausted? was he? They were wired. They were just, but like, it will go down in history. That's a piece of yeah. of our theatrical history and it always yeah. will be. That's incredible. Yeah. That's gold. We will get a shock when uh, we have to do a play that has... Seven, well, I do five shows a week now. That's, seven shows a week. That's so. what I do from now on. <laughs> Anyone listening? In terms of treadmill, that's we are deal. absolutely strolling. <laughs> <laughs> not the triathlon. Thank you, girls. That was wonderful. Thank, Thank you, Claire. And check out Minefield. Oh, in... and you can get tickets from my sorry, Minefield in Dublin Fringe in September. Tickets available on fringefest.com and access, and access Ballymun.ie. Woo, everyone go to it. It's amazing. Book. <laughs>